Well, it is good to stand here and see at least half of your faces. I haven't had the opportunity to teach to anything but the lens of a camera now in about two years, so I have been excited for this. Our teaching this morning is called Take Courage, and we sang that phrase in the last song. Take courage, hold on, be strong, remember where your help comes from. And that's a really encouraging lyric, a reminder that in our efforts to have courage, to be strong, that there is help that comes from outside of us. Well, I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word courage. What images does that word conjure up for you? You know, I think of words like brave and heroic. And if you've raised kids any time in the last 10 years or so, maybe you think of this. If you don't know who that is, that's Merida from the Disney movie Brave. And if you know the movie, you know that Merida had to find courage to go rescue her mother from some Disney bizarre circumstances, but also to stand up for herself and her beliefs. And as I'm looking at that picture, if the truth be told, I really just like watching this movie from time to time because it reminds me of my hair. I used to have that exact hair. And I know that might be a little bit hard to picture while you're sitting out there and just kind of wishing maybe they'd dim the lights a little bit to cut down on the shine on my head. But yeah, I used to have the Merida hair in all its glory. <laughs> well, on a more serious note, here's some courageous people that you might be familiar with. And just shout out the name if you know. How about this guy? Yeah, it's Captain Sully. That's how we came to know him. And he safely brought down a U.S. Airways flight into the Hudson River in New York after both of its engines were disabled by a bird strike. And that's pretty heroic stuff. But I think what actually makes him courageous is that he used the fame that came to him after this incident to speak out about airline safety improvements. How about this young woman? Right, this is Malala Yousafzai. In October of 2012, a gunman boarded her school bus, asked for her by name, because she'd been speaking out about girls' rights to education. And the gunman shot her, a 12-year-old girl, in the head. She didn't wake up for 10 days, and her recovery involved months of different surgeries and rehabilitation. And imagine trying to find the courage to keep going after all of that. And what makes her so courageous to me is not only did she find the strength to recover, but she continued to speak out for young women's rights to an education in certain parts of the world where that's not the case. And then we have this guy. You don't have to guess on him because his name's right there. We don't have a photograph of him, so this is, you know, an artist's idea of what the Apostle Peter might have looked like. 
And if you're at all familiar with Peter from the New Testament, you might be scratching your head right now and wondering why we included Peter alongside a list of some courageous people. You know, Peter's story in Scripture is not one that conjures up that word very often. And if you're new to the story of Peter this morning, just hang on. We're going to come back to him and talk a little more shortly. But before we do that, I'd like to read our text for today. If you have a Bible with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't own a Bible and you'd like to have one, we have someone on the shelf in the back of the room that we'd like you to have as our gift for you. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said to him. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they said. And that's quite a story, isn't it? That stroll on the water is one of Jesus' most famous miracles. But to me, what makes the story even more impactful is understanding it within the context of all of the events that surround it. So I want to take just a few minutes and zoom out from this little short passage and examine the story that leads up to it. Let's flip a back, flip a back, flip back a few pages to chapter 12. And here we find the Pharisees, who were a group of some of the religious leaders of Jesus' time. They're giving him grief for doing good on the Sabbath. Basically, Jesus is going about and healing people and demonstrating mercy towards them. And the Pharisees are getting up in his face about doing this on the day of worship. And then Jesus declares himself as Lord over the Sabbath, which really gets the Pharisees going. They hatch a plot to kill him. So Jesus basically up and gets out of town and carries on his work of mercy elsewhere. If we move into chapter 13, we find Jesus teaching using some of his parables. And these are great little illustrations that try and explain to his disciples and to the people who are following them what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And along the way, the disciples ask him why he's speaking in these parables. And Jesus tells them that they're going to be blessed because they will eventually come to understand the meaning. Under Jesus' teaching, they'll understand kingdom secrets. 
And that's an important statement there, kingdom secrets, because it points back to a statement made by another fellow in the Bible by the name of Isaiah. And we're going to get to why he's important in a few minutes. Throughout this part of the story, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. And his hometown folk end up rejecting his teaching. And I sort of think this would be a little bit like, say, Justin Bieber going home to this little hometown of Stratford, Ontario. You know, to the rest of us, we know Justin because of his celebrity, right? He's a bigger-than-life person, almost. But I bet to everybody in Stratford, Ontario, he's still kind of like, you know, little Justin from down the street. Point being that celebrity or status or authority doesn't always translate well to people who knew you from before you were that person. And to folks in Nazareth, I bet they're just looking at little Jesus from down the street, the carpenter's kid. And so they reject the authority of his teaching. That brings us to chapter 14. And we have this weird little rabbit trail that we go down from verse 1 to 12 about the death of John the Baptist. And that might seem like a little bit of a sidebar without realizing that John the Baptist had lots of interaction with Jesus throughout the book of Matthew. All the way back in chapter 3, John is the guy who baptizes Jesus. And for those of you that have had that experience, I know I can speak for myself. I have lots of fond memories of the pastor who baptized me in my teens. And I think knowing that gives what we read next in verse 13 just a lot of emotional resonance. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. So here we have Jesus. He's a guy who knew of a plot to kill him, who had been run right out of his own hometown, and who now is just hearing about the death of a person who is at least of some personal importance to him. And I don't know about you, but after any of that, let alone all of that, I would need some alone time. Except Jesus doesn't get it. The crowds hear about him, and they follow him just wherever he goes. Which brings us to another one of Jesus' well-known miracles. He feeds a crowd of 5,000 people that had followed him around, plus the women and children who were with the men, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And here's what I think is really important about this story for the context of our story this morning. The disciples see this stuff Happen. They see Jesus do this thing with five loaves and two fish to feed thousands of people, and he involves them in his work of being merciful to people. Finally, this gets us to our text today, beginning at verse 22. Jesus sends the disciples out on the boat across the lake, and he stays behind alone so he can pray. And he finally gets his alone time. While he's praying in solitude, night falls and a storm brews up on the lake. And the text of Matthew doesn't comment directly on Jesus' state of mind at this point, but I like to imagine him thinking of his disciples, his friends, out on a boat in a storm. 
And he's already grieving the loss of John the Baptist. And he doesn't want to lose his friends. So Jesus decides to go to them. And how do you go to your friends out in a storm on a lake when they're the guys that have the boat? Well, if you're Jesus, you take a walk. And at this point, I want to stop and ask you, if you're in a boat on a lake in the middle of a storm and you see someone strolling across the top of the water towards you, what's your reaction? Check out these words from verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. They were terrified. And all things being honest, if I saw this, if I was having this experience, I'd have been terrified too. And that is all we know about the reaction of the disciples as a group. The only disciple that we know any more about in this story is Peter. So let's keep reading, starting at verses 28 to 31. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked in the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? What stands out to you about Peter in these verses? If I'm being honest, what's always stood out to me in verse 31 is Peter's doubt. And there I want us to remember, Peter and the other disciples had seen Jesus do these miraculous things before. And back in chapter 8, they'd actually seen him calm another storm while they were in a boat on a lake. So they knew he could do this. Yet Peter's fear and doubt get the better of him anyway. And this is a standout aspect of Peter's character as we view him all throughout the New Testament. One of the more well-known stories about Peter is as the time for Jesus' crucifixion drew near, Peter swears to Jesus that he's going to walk through fire with him, basically. If we know the story, we know that Peter ends up denying that he even knows Jesus, not once, but three times. Now listen to this little story from Galatians 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing about Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friend of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people and insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And that, I think, adds more evidence to the case that Peter seems not to be a person of courage, right? He comes across as fickle and as someone who's prone to bending or breaking under pressure. 
Yet this is someone that Jesus said would be foundational to the creation and the building of the church. And we know from scripture and we know from historical records that that turned out to be true. So what gives about Peter? Why would Jesus choose someone like that to work through? Let's rewind for a second. Read some of these words here again. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away for a strong wind had arisen. About three in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples heard them, they were terrified. And they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. This is important. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. And Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. We've been focused on Peter and his fear and his doubt. But let me ask you a question. While all of this is going on, where's, where are the other disciples? Anyone? They're in the boat. Jesus tells the disciples as a group to take courage. And it's Peter that has a moment of courage. It's Peter that climbs over the side of the boat and demonstrates confidence, even though it was fleeting, that it's okay to do such an audacious thing because he's going to go and do it with Jesus. And here's a thought I'd like you to tuck in the back of your minds for the next few minutes as we continue to look at this story. What terrifying, audacious thing might Jesus be asking you to do? What terrifying, audacious thing might Jesus be asking our church to do? And how are you feeling about getting out of the boat and going to Jesus to do these things? And the key to that, of course, is the other major character in this story, and that's Jesus himself. And one of the things that we learn if we do good Bible study is that each of the gospel authors has a particular reason for writing and a particular audience in mind and certain aspects of Jesus that they want to highlight for that audience. And Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. That's what Matthew's trying to convince them of, that this is who Jesus is. It's why he begins his gospel all the way back in chapter 1 with the genealogy of Jesus, back to Abraham. And this is why Matthew refers to prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, whose words we see in some of Matthew here. Because he's aiming to show Jesus as the fulfillment of all these prophecies about the coming of a Messiah who would be the one to save. And if you read through any of the Gospels, you'll encounter Jesus spending a lot of time trying to convince his own disciples that this is who he is. He is the expected Messiah. 
And his disciples, they see him work miracles. They hear him explain these kingdom secrets that we talked about. And they get to see his authority over wind and waves and the spiritual world and the religious law of the Jewish people, even over death itself. And it's that Jesus that invites the disciples out of the boat. And it's that same Jesus that invites us today to go to him and do terrifying, audacious things with him. And finally, that brings us to our phrase of the day, take courage. And the phrase in, in some of your Bibles might be translated as take heart. But this is a phrase that turns up all throughout the Old and the New Testaments, to take courage, to take heart, to be of good courage. And everywhere we find it, in the Old Testament Hebrew and in the New Testament Greek, it's spoken as an encouragement, not as a condemnation. And everywhere we find it in Scripture, people are experiencing different kinds of adversity. And they're not being asked why has your courage failed? They're being urged to take courage again. That song that we sang earlier, take courage, hold on, be strong, remember where your help comes from, that draws from the language of the Psalms. And we read a couple of these verses together earlier. When we read, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage, be strong, let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. And here's a similar encouragement directly from Jesus in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus gets it. We're human beings, and part of our human experience is fear. He knows this. We're going to need to find courage in our adversity, not after the adversity passed, after the storm has been calmed. And in our story today, Peter finds the momentary courage to get out of the boat and go to Jesus in the storm. And then he gets scared again. And he loses sight of what Jesus, in his authority over the things that had caused Peter's fear, he loses sight of how safe he is with Jesus. That if Jesus is going to ask him to get out of the boat and do a terrifying, audacious thing, that it'll be okay. And I think we can all relate to that. I know there's been lots of times when I've found myself out of the proverbial boat and then gripped with a return of my fear. My faith in the authority of Jesus over what caused my fear, it falters. And that's what Peter's experiencing in this story. And Jesus says it outright in verse 31, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Now, if there's just one short thing you take from today's teaching, I hope it's this. I want you to look at what happens next. Jesus has diagnosed Peter's problem, his loss of courage, resulting from a faltering faith in Jesus' authority over the storm. 
But does he go and say to Peter, Peter, I am so disappointed in you. How could you? No, the very next thing that Jesus does is he returns Peter safely to the boat with the other disciples, and then he stills the storm. That's the Jesus that calls us to himself. And maybe you're here today and that's kind of a new thing for you. You're not sure what to make of Jesus and this whole idea of his having authority over the things that cause you fear. And if that's you, I want to ask you this question. What is the adversity you're facing right now? What's your storm? How much a factor is the fact that something in you or in the world around you just feels like it needs to be set straight? There's a little kingdom secret for you. The way of Jesus is the way of restoration, the setting right, the straightening out of all things. He works in us to begin the work of setting our lives right, and then through us, his people, he helps start set the world right around us. He offers to save us as Messiah, the one who saves, into a future hope where eventually everything will be set right. And if you're encountering him new this morning, that's his message to you as he's walking towards you over the top of whatever storm of adversity that you're experiencing. And maybe his call to you is to take courage, step towards the edge of the boat, and to just take one small little step towards him today. Maybe you're here and you've been journeying with Jesus for a while, maybe a long while. And for those of us who identify that way, I'm going to name a storm of adversity that we're all contending with. And this isn't going to surprise you, and you're sick to death of the word. It is COVID-19. In our series, Begin Again, that we just finished, Paul talked a bit about what COVID-19 has meant to the church around the world and to our church family here. So I want to ask you to do something. And this is going to push you out of your comfort zone, maybe. I know it pushed me out of my comfort zone if I was in the chair and not here. But I want you to take a second right now and just have a good look around the room. Look around at the people. Who do you see? Who don't you see? If you're looking around this morning and you're wondering, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen them in a long time. I want to encourage you towards the edge of the boat today to take courage and consider giving that person a call this week. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them how the adversity, their storm of the COVID age, how's that been for them? That act of reaching out 
could be just the invitation they need towards the safety and the storm that Jesus offers. And if you've been a part of our New Life family for some time, I bet when you were looking around the room today, you saw some faces that you didn't recognize at all. And I want to encourage you towards the edge of the boat to take courage and consider just stepping across the room and say hi to someone that you don't recognize, that you don't know yet. Because I think that act of reaching out could be just the invitation they need to make this, this place, this new life family, feel like a place of safety in the storm because we are all sorely in need of such a place right now. In the Begin Again series, Paul also talked about some rather terrifying, audacious things that we feel new life has been called to do and others that we might yet be called to do. And I really believe that this is a moment in the midst of this crazy COVID storm that is causing us some fear. This is a moment, I think, when we need to look towards Jesus as the one with authority over those things. I think he's walking out there atop the waters of this storm because he sees a boat full of people, people that he loves and who are frightened. And the best news is that he's walking towards us. He's saying to us, take courage. I am here to save. I have authority over this storm that you're experiencing. Now come on over towards the edge of the boat. I want to leave you with this quote from John Ortberg and then one final question. Only Peter knew that when he sank, Jesus would be there and he was wholly adequate to save. The other disciples could not know this because they never got out of the boat. This is the fundamental truth. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, you've got to take a step of faith. And I love this. This involves risky obedience. One of the questions that Paul left us with in the Begin Again series was what kind of church we want to be as we carry on the work in the COVID age and as we look to being Jesus' hands and feet in our community in this time of adversity and in the post-COVID age that we know is eventually coming. If Jesus is walking towards us during this time of adversity, who do we want to be? I don't want to be a disciple in the boat. I would love for us to be like Peter, climbing over the edge of the boat to join Jesus in doing terrifying, audacious things placing our hope in him despite our fear.
Take courage. Hold on. Be strong. Remember where our help comes from. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are walking towards us. In our adversity today, you're not even waiting for us to step towards you. You are stepping towards us. So we say thank you together for that. Thank you for being the one that has authority over those things that may cause us fear. I pray in our church family, by the work of your spirit, that you would embolden us to meet the challenges that you've placed in front of us. Because there is a whole community of 50,000-something people out there who are just as scared as us about what life looks like and is going to look like as we head into uncertain future. And we have the hope of Christ that we're able to hold on to. Give us plentiful opportunities to share that hope with the community around us, the people in our lives, and encourage us towards the edge of the boat when our courage falters. And remind us, fresh and anew, day by day, that you have already conquered those fear-inspiring things. Thank you for involving us in your work. That is a privilege. We worship you this day together, and we give you our thanks. Amen. Just a few last little notes before you go this morning. If you'd like to give towards the work of New Life financially, we're not at the place yet where we want to be passing offering plates around the room. They're not self-sanitizing. So we've got donation box in the back if you would like to give today, or you can do that through our website or our mobile app. Some things happening this week. Something, it's really exciting to see lots of stuff beginning to happen again this fall. Tonight at Mountaincroft Park in Collingwood here, our youth are going to be giving out hot chocolate to people as they're out and about. I encourage you to stop by there, maybe interact with some folks from our community. Tuesday from 9.15 to 11.15 in the morning, if you're a parent with toddlers, babies, we're having a play group here at New Life. I invite you to, to come on by for that. Wednesday, junior high is from 6 to 6. Oh, I'm going to twist up over this. Grades 6 to 8 from 6.30 to 8.30. There we go. Here at the church. Thursday, senior high is grades 9 to 12. Study hall is after school. And then they have their gathering from 7 to 9. Next Sunday morning, we're beginning a new series on forgiveness. And then in the evening, we have got a great opportunity here to worship with other churches from around our region. We're going to be having our Georgian Triangle Ministerial Association Unity Service. We have not been able to do one of these for quite some time. So I encourage you to come on out for some worship, some catching up on what's going on with God's work in our community. We can gather in person for that, but there's also a live stream. And as always, the details for all of this stuff you can find on our website on the calendar page. 
Have a fantastic week, folks, and do take a stroll across the room and say hi to someone that you don't know yet. God bless.